0: It is Back another beginning. episode.
1: This is not a space safe space. I can I can speak, I promise, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. This, well,
0: it is called Civil Discourse, and the subtitle is
1: This Is Not a Safe Space. There we go. Definitely
0: not person. a safe space today. And so here we go on another one. And 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 Charles, how've you been?
1: You know, it's been a week. It's been a week. Um Lots of of things going on, both uh, in the personal and the professional. And uh, this is our first day where I'm actually recording from upstairs in my house with what looks like a respectable uh, sound studio setup going on here. I've got a mixer and a couple of screens and a few keyboards in front of me. And I even have the way, a method by which to make it sound like uh, we know what we're doing. Um, For example, uh, check this out. Oh, thank
0: you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody.
1: Yes. No, welcome. Welcome. I am so glad that finally the world can uh, see me as a respectable participant in the technology uh, side of things.
0: There you go. So, so some chucklehead, because you, you did all that decided to completely tear his desk apart, rewire it. So hopefully everything's still working on this end. Uh, and honestly okay. it was all driven because I got new lights um, because I do in my real job teach. Uh, and so I'm on camera a lot. So I had to replace the lights I had before. Uh, so, you know, we, we just thought we'd tempt fates and, and, uh, uh put up new gear so we can we can podcast legitimately right so well
1: i think we're we're in a good position to uh, be able to uh, record not only from our respective homes but when we're on the road too and that's really the goal
0: and and that's a huge goal and and it's part of what we want to do as we as we grow this podcast so first off thank you all you listeners for for tuning in and and and, uh enjoying another episode of civil discourse we really appreciate you being here and, and we continue. I, I've been watching the numbers. We continue to grow in spite of the technical difficulties that will cause us to miss a couple of weeks here and there. So challenges, we, challenges. Yes, um, it, we overcame them. So uh, <laughs> anyway, I you know I have we haven't had a serious discussion since well last week. So so what would you like to talk about today, Charles?
1: Well, for those of you who who uh, tuned in last week, thank you again for that. By the way. Um, You may recall that we went through a number of issues in our, I think, second or third episode uh, on the idea of partisan um, difference of of opinions, attitudes towards a wide range of issues. And among the the many topics, everything from abortion to gun control to education and so on, we had touched on the um, attitudes towards entitlements. And this, for those of you who may not be familiar with what that term, because you hear the term all the time on the news or, or whatnot, and added, you know, entitlements and the amount of the budget that goes towards entitlement spending, this would be things like social security, um, Medicare, welfare, Medicaid, unemployment, and so on. This to be, uh, you know, set aside for, uh, Th- from things like defense spending and, you know, education in, in the general sense and and, and other elements of, of government spending. These are the things that are set aside to help people live better um, who need that help. And the question that keeps coming up is where is the line between what people legitimately deserve or are, quote, entitled to, um, and what is, you know, the mooching element that people talk about. I'm just living off of my welfare and I should get a real job and all this sort of thing. And, de- you know, I think in general, and tell me if you disagree with this, but the the general attitudes tend to be pretty down the the aisle when it comes to um people should be less entitled to things and actually get out there tends to be more of a, an attitude towards the right whereas no people really need help and if they you know honestly deserve that help then we should be giving it to them towards the left I'm not sure it's that simple. And that's what I want no, to No,
0: I, I think it's a lot. And that's funny you should say that. I, I think it's a lot more complex than that. I think, first off, uh, nobody feels, in my opinion, no, no rational human being anyway, feels that anyone should be leeching from the system. It's how they, uh, I guess it's how they define leeching. So, uh, but, but, you know, when you talk about welfare cheats or uh, people who rip off social security or whatever the case may be, I think, I think everyone holds them in equal disdain. Uh, if you will. And and so I think we're really talking about what constitutes uh, the eligibility for an entitlement. And by the way, believe it or not, some people when they talk entitlements are also talking about military retirement, which is an earned benefit and not necessarily an entitlement. So when we're talking today, we're talking about what?
1: Well, I think that, you know, the, the, the idea of earned benefit is really interesting because a lot of people don't realize that some of the things that we call, entitlements that give the impression of a a handout is is, is another term you'll hear all the time that somehow it's just sitting on my duff and taking money and not having done anything right well for most of us who gather who collect and and i'm using the word us i don't in fact the one time i tried i was denied um unemployment most of us are paying into unemployment
0: that's a, that's an insurance that you pay your employer pays into each each time you work every each day you work, and, and, and that so comes out your
1: paycheck, right? You right, know, not a gift from the employer. Like they take that that is right. your money, right? That while you were working gainfully was being set aside into an account within the government, uh, and being put as a safety net for should you lose a job, right? And depending right. on your economic status, need. Uh, that help, you have now a, you know, a source uh, to, to, to go to for that support uh, until you find another job.
0: Same thing with workman's comp, workman's comp is an insurance, unless your employer has less than five employees in some states.
1: Other details that that vary from state to state. And it's, it's interesting because I'll, I'll admit myself, I, when I was working in, in Los Angeles, was it LA or New York? I can't remember. But it used to be back in the 70s and early 80s, if you worked in the theater, speaking of the arts, if you worked in the theater, you worked in film, you worked in television, just like every other employee, employee a certain amount of your paycheck was set aside for unemployment insurance. And it was a common thing amongst actors that when your job ended, the, the play finished on, on Broadway or the the film was over, whatever the case was, that you, you know, especially in theater, because the money's not that good in theater. Right. You would go down as a matter of course to the unemployment office. You are now officially unemployed and you would, you know, register to uh, collect that unemployment to fill the gap until you got the next acting job. And again, that money is your money. To you know, within reason, and it's funny because the one time I did it, <laughs> um, the one time I, 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 because even in my own mind, <clears throat> excuse me, even in my own mind, it felt like a, a handout. You know, I had to remind myself that I had paid into that, and this was money that I had set aside uh, through this system for this exact moment. And so I decided, okay, let me go ahead and do this. And I filled out my, my application. And part of it is what is your income, uh, you know, without that job and so forth. And in addition to acting gigs, I also was a musician and I had a church gig I'd play for church services on a Sunday morning uh, to, uh, and a Wednesday night at the time. And it was a little bit of money. It hardly paid all the bills, but I had some money coming in um, to, you know, help supplement the larger jobs. And that little bit of money, I mean, 150 a week or whatever it was, was considered too much.
0: You made too much. <laughs> you made, made too much. And and, and it's interesting. And, and I think they've changed the rules on that because of the volatility of the theater specifically. Uh, and, and I know they've changed some of those rules regarding temporary employment, what they call temporary employment situations uh, where y- you may no longer be eligible for, for unemployment benefits. Uh, and I, I, again, we call those entitlements, we call social security entitlement. I've been paying into the system for, uh, oh shoot, it's it's well over 40 years, but they're going to call this an entitlement. And I saw a chart where you could put in your contributions um, because, you know, everybody gets their, their annual report from social security and see what you would have earned in a 401k. I would have earned much more money in a 401k than I did, I will in social, social security. So, I, well, I, I,
1: It's interesting because, again, an entitlement, meaning you are entitled to this benefit, uh, this benefit that either you have paid into directly or, in fact, I'm, I'm not sure, is there even one that isn't based on what you've paid into directly? Is it maybe probably, welfare? Probably wealth,
0: welfare and uh, social security disability sometimes is, is based on your parents. If you're a disabled child or your spouse if, if if you never had enough quarters to earn social security you may get social security disability without actually so there, you- there may
1: be a couple of circumstances that yeah. are sort of set aside but the vast majority of what we call entitlements uh, services that you are entitled to are there because you as a citizen in good standing have paid those various taxes into and you know whether it's an an uh, uh, earned entitlement, you mentioned the military, um, you know, you've paid in that case for, I don't know. And this is a good, interesting question because most people who are active military do have a paycheck. Right. Are those entitlements, uh, no uh, contributions coming out of that paycheck? No,
0: it doesn't show them as as coming out. It's a, it's an, uh, it's a expected retirement program, um, that begins when you enlist and it's based on the date you first signed the document and then. Um, depending on which system you came in under uh, their different rules, like a, like a lot of old right.
1: military, But it's all, out.
0: it's all under the, under the paycheck, so to speak. You don't actually see it coming out of your, your paycheck. Um, so, which, you know, to your point, maybe they ought to, but. but no,
1: I, I, I'm not, I don't want to make that point at all. I think if you're putting your life on the line,
0: well, I, I think it would be neat oh. to say you've earned X number of months towards retirement. Now, you don't get anything if you retire before your 20 years. You basically okay. lose everything. Uh, there's nothing that follows you. So, so you have to go a minimum of 20 years to be vested in the system, so to speak. Okay,
1: and there are other benefits that uh, I've I've known a number of um, both active duty and um, former uh, uh, veterans who may not have gone the full 20 years or whatnot, but they you know still had access to college uh right. reimbursement right. other benefits of their service um and i have heard some discrep um you know discrepancies in th- some people's access to some of those benefits i i, rem- I went to college with a a gentleman that uh, he said he had a hard time actually receiving the um, comp, the, uh, was it a compensation? I forget how it was organized. You, you but, get a check uh, every month
0: while you're fully enrolled or part time enrolled, and, and so sometimes you know all the complaints. And and, and I'm not calling this a uh, an entitlement, but you do pay into the GI Bill so you can receive it. Uh, so you have to actually enroll in it when you enlist, and then they take a, a small amount out of your check. I think it's a hundred bucks or whatever out of your sure. check every month, and then when you you get out. Uh, you then are entitled to your, your GI bill, uh, for, for college. And, you know, I, I, the VA has gotten better, but it still needs a lot of work and, and sure. not just the hospital system, but, but, you know, the VA, uh, GI bill benefits and, and some of uh, the, the loan program, by the way, for housing works great. I, I never had a problem with that, but, but, you know, some of these programs are still works in progress and, and, um, uh, there was no GI bill for a long time as well i don't know if you're aware of that but they ended it in the, in the mid 70s and it, i don't think it came back until the 90s so there was about a 20 year gap or a 15 year I gap remember. there yeah it was called they went to a program called vep and a veterans educational something program i can't remember what the a is and and it was just not nearly as robust as the GI bill and, and so uh, in a bipartisan effort by the way uh, the, the new GI bill came in and then it's been revamped two or three times since. But again, is that an entitlement or is it an earned benefit that you paid into? And, and um, I certainly distinguish the two in my mind. So I, I really think in my mind, when you say entitlements, it's, it's more, you know, what we call welfare. That's not welfare, but food, uh, and it's not called food stamps anymore either. But uh, I, I think those are the programs that a lot of people have uh, complaints about.
1: Well, and here again, the the going back to a a through theme that I often return to: words matter. And to me, when you say you are entitled to something, you have done something that has qualified you to be owed properly, and not just because, but I have actually contributed to this system, and now it's time to collect on that contribution. That's what the system is, and therefore I am legitimately entitled. And an earned benefit, it's uh, that word earned is your contribution, right? You know, whether it's, you've earned it through a deduction of your paycheck up until your point of collection, or you have done a service that warrants this additional compensation in some fashion. These, you know, the, the word entitlement has become a dirty word, but the fact of the matter is you, all of it. With the exception of, and we'll get further into this, the the idea of the welfare state and some of these other elements, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, unemployment, those are earned benefits, whether it's through service or financial contribution over the course of your career and life. So you are entitled to get those benefits. Now here are where some exceptions come in. Um, I think there are certain, and and this changes over time. I mean, like you say, that's not like, this is a static thing. Um, I think the, the earliest iterations of this probably were what came out of the new deal programs and in uh, the depression with FDR, right? He started the social security concepts and, um, I, I don't have the list in front of me, but help me out here. Um, Coming out of uh, FDR's New Deal program, I know Social Security was one of them. It, it
0: was the big one. Um, yeah. There really wasn't much of a welfare system or, or social safety net system then, and that didn't really get implemented until the seventies, sixties uh, and seventies. Uh, but there were work work programs. Uh, the you know the oh,
1: gradually things were expanded right um,
0: okay. so you had the the tennessee valley authority and the civilian yes. conservation corps and the, but the, you worked for those benefits you didn't uh just receive a check no uh, so you know it, it's, yeah. it's it was earned in right. some it, fashion. right right <laughs> and, and so and you know the funny thing is when you travel through the west and i know you've done it you'll you'll get to a rest area where there's a beautiful fresco uh carved into the side of something and It'll say there that it was part of the Works Progress Administration yep. or the Civilian Conservation Corps or something, which I always found interesting, so
1: now, it was always based on on your your contribution or your legitimate need, and this is where the gray area starts to come in with welfare and some of this other stuff but the the point a is that the majority of these programs that have become derided through this dirty word called entitlements, most of them are things that people have actually earned properly. And it's interesting the places where some people will see their entitlement as something that's legitimate, worked hard for and earned over uh, you know uh, their course of their life and career but other people's is not perceived as that somehow that is now mooching on the system and not that that's always wrong <laughs> but there is sort of a perception that i think um is often uh go for i'll give an example i won't say his name but um somebody i've i've known and worked with uh in my local town he's an ex um uh, uh I don't know if he was Marine, probably Army, Um, but uh, he, you know, he had a a full career in in the military, and then he worked for years and had a company and this, that, and the other, and still does, though partially retired. And he was having a big dispute with the town, because as a um, veteran, I think it was, um, he was supposed to receive uh, he was under the understanding that he was supposed to receive a certain amount of tax benefit from the town. And he was fighting with them because I guess they were denying it. Um, the majority of it round numbers. If he was supposed to get 200 off his taxes, they were giving him like 20 right. or something. And, as far as he was concerned, and he said in a very impassioned way uh, at one point, telling me about this, um, how mad he was with the town. He's like, that, that, "That's mine. I'm entitled to that." <laughs> and you know, I didn't argue with him. I didn't have any reason to. I mean, he's probably right. <laughs> you know, I've, I'm not I had no interest in telling him otherwise. But this was the same individual would be the first person on several other occasions to talk about how these these people just expecting these handouts and these, these, you know, they, why don't, why don't they get a job? Why don't they this, that, and the other? And, and I don't think he was only talking about, or maybe he felt he was, but he wasn't enunciating it in a clear way. The, uh, just the people who are not you know, receiving really unearned welfare benefits and so forth.
0: Which, um, which is a very small percentage of Americans. Um, yes. I, I, I was just looking because while you were talking, because of some of the things you said, and, and it said that 90% of all entitlement programs are going to either working families, the elderly, or basically orphans and widows. And, Absolutely. And so I, I find that interesting. Um, so, so really, you know, when we talk about the lazy slob sucking on the system, and we'll get to that. I don't mean that as a pejorative, but I'm saying that's oh, how people classify it.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah we're, we're talking about 10% is what we're talking about are people who receive benefits. So social security, you have to work 10 years total 40 quarters to to receive social security. That means you've at least paid in the system for 10 years and it could be at the beginning of your life and you didn't work a, you know, a lick since, or you may have been at the end of your life, or, or you may have been scattered throughout. But, but to me, that's always been interesting that, that, you know, minimum of 10 years you had to pay in the system uh before you can draw anything from social security and of course there it goes up or down based on how long you paid in the system and how much um mm-hmm. and, and of course it maxes out you know once you hit a, a it's a mid 100,000 salary i don't think you pay any more uh beyond whatever that maximum that you pay in the system is which has been the discussion uh from some folks uh, on both sides of the aisle should we continue that tax up to a significantly or not tax that that withholding up significantly more. Uh, By the way, I don't know if you know this, but the Supreme court did actually find that social security is not necessarily a contribution. It is actually a tax in the eyes of the law. So you don't have to get anything back. They can keep it. (laughs) Just thought (laughs) I'd I'd throw that aside in there.
1: (laughs) That may not have been how it was conceived, but um, just, just to finish off the example of this gentleman I know who, by the way, I mean, well, we may have some disagreement on many, Political issues. He's a great guy, um, and has done a lot um, that I hold in high esteem. It, so, for two things, one is that he considers himself, or by whatever system is out there, is considered a disabled veteran.
0: Right, and, and that I, when you said it, I figured it had to be he must be one hundred percent disabled because a lot of states and what does that mean? That means that, means that the, the the Veterans Administration has assessed all of the ailments that you got during your service and said that you probably shouldn't be working. You're, you're a hundred percent disabled. Uh, now.
1: Okay. I, I have no problem with that as as an idea. And he himself would tell you he's a disabled veteran and, and, and I will go the f- step further to describe that. I'm quite certain for him, the idea of disabled is that he suffers and he's told me a little bit about it. You know certain uh, symptoms of PTSD from his time and goes you know a couple times a year when he's feeling blue and has um you know, some therapy sessions and so forth. But in a physical sense, in a you know an active and engaged sense, there's nothing materially disabled about this individual. He's worked for years, run businesses, employees, employment completely engaged. So to the naked and unknowing eye, there's nothing disabled about this person.
0: Well, and yeah, that's, that's, that's a tough one. And, and,
1: uh, to the naked eye, not on the street. If you saw him in the workplace, if you saw him running his own business, he's fully capable of, of being engaged and that's not to dismiss the importance of mental health and psychological, uh damage that can come legitimately um from military services and we've talked about this before. Um so again, I'm not here to argue whether he is or is not disabled. Oh,
0: I didn't take it that way. And no. and I didn't mean he, to feels
1: he is and obviously he has with the veterans administration or whatever, he has the technical uh status as a disabled veteran. And apparently there was some benefit that as a disabled veteran you were supposed to get. The part of this that I thought was interesting is this is also a wealthy man. And so I don't know if this is the case, but if the town was denying him a hundred percent of this supposed benefit entitlement, was it because of his economic status? Even though, yes, he technically maybe get it, if you're worth millions, maybe they say, "Look, <laughs> you know, on the list of people who need it, we're going to prioritize differently. Right, wrong, or indifferent, I think that's something worth discussing.
0: It, it is. And, and by the way, you can have a leg blown off and that's not 100% disabled. That, that they, they have this crazy formula they use. I, I've had it explained to me a half dozen times. I still to this day don't understand it. Uh, but, they, yeah. but, you know, way, way, maybe a leg is, I'm making up numbers, maybe a leg is 40% and an arm is, is 20% you would think one arm one leg i i'd be 60% disabled no you're probably 45% disabled and it's it's a weird weird uh, thing and then there's some mental health issues there's a a a disease called menieres uh, which i have by the way and menieres is a a post concussive uh syndrome where you get um uh, my brain is just fried you have tinnitus you have tinnitus you have uh migraine headaches, and uh there's a few other symptoms that you get. And and it's a hundred percent disability because of it can be debilitating when it kicks in. And, and that's really uh PTSD is another one can be debil- debilitating when it kicks in. Sure. Sure. And, and so it just it depends on the VA. And to your point though, you know, uh I don't I don't get a check for disability uh from the military. I, I'm certainly eligible to and you and I've had this discussion and, and you've seen some of the pain I deal with uh, related to my military service, particularly, you know, back trauma and, and so on. Mm-hmm. But I don't go get it and I haven't gone to get it yet because in my mind, and a lot of veterans think the same way I do, and I'm not picking aside, I'm not saying if you don't think like I do, you're wrong. But a lot of veterans say those are for the guys in combat that did lose a limb. Those are for the guys who were in combat that did suffer this. Now, I'm a combat vet, but I didn't suffer. I don't know when I got those problems, so to speak.
1: I I think that we use, you know, call it pride or whatever the case is, upbringing. But there is a degree to which we set our own sense of standard. Right. Um, That, you know, we, we should do this. And it was the same thing when I, uh, again, many times was I technically, and I'm not a, I'm not a veteran, but many times my technical employment status was such that I could have by all legal rights justified going down and collecting unemployment, uh, something I was owed because I paid into it, but it didn't feel right to me. I could feed myself. My rent was paid, and so forth, and so forth. And I thought that's for people who really need it.
0: Yeah, you had that hundred and fifty dollars to pay groceries.
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, it's it, more than it, savings.
0: <laughs> it, it's it's a tough spot, and and I grew up in a ho- immigrant household, and we didn't take money from the government. We just didn't. And that was kind of an ethos that my family had, and I think that's the immigrant attitude. By the way, is is uh, we go to work. And, and you know, I've looked at studies about this because there is a tendency to paint immigrants, recent immigrants, as takers from society. And by any metric that I've been able to, to find, and, and by the way, if you find someone, one of our listeners finds something that says otherwise, please send it to us and we'll talk about how you can send it to us. By any metric I can find as a net, not not individual immigrants, but as a sure. net, immigrants contribute far more to society as far as what they're paying into the system than what they take out. Uh, so uh, again, you know, the perception is that they, that immigrants get to that these is healthy,
1: uh liberal sounding talk. You're just, you're just well, you're-
0: and, and maybe it's because of my own personal experience. Uh, but, you know, I, I look at my parents uh, and you've met my mom, you know, she's very, very, has an accent. We'll just say that. And, and English mm-hmm. is certainly not her first language. And she raised her children to become um, contributors to society. and, and there's a, a in, in the three generations my family's been in this country, we, we've had over 50 years of military service. Uh, my mom raised two educators, two uh, computer programmers, and two engineers uh, of the six of us. And uh, I call myself an educator, by the way. So I'm in the educator part. But but seriously, I mean, I think that's the norm for most immigrant families, not the exception.
1: Well, first of all, immigrating is not an easy thing. Of course so. not. Move to another part of the world with your entire family and the clothes on your back, um, and and try and start over because you're lazy. (laughs) Well,
0: of course not, not. of course not.
1: (laughs) But that is a perception that that is frequently put out there, and you know, words like "it's a drain on our society." It's uh, you and I, you know, who are proper uh, Americans are, you know, paying out of our pocket to you know, put these kids through school or whatever you know, you hear this language and it is, unfortunately it's, it's more associated with the right side of the aisle that you'll hear that kind of language. Not a hundred percent. There are people on both sides, but that tends to be a more conservative rally cry.
0: Well, I think every side has a boogeyman. Every side has a boogeyman and, and, and the welfare queen And the immigrant who lives large on the, on the backs of society tends to be
1: billionaire who's not paying any taxes. Right.
0: Tends to be the right view. Whereas the left, it's, it's like you said, it's the upper 1% or, or uh, uh, I've heard the military get attacked by some extremists on the left, but not, not the mainstream left. Uh, And I think everyone has their boogeyman that they paint up and they, and they trot it out come election time. And uh, you know, we got to get those dang immigrants back across the border. Well, first off, I, I, we're, we'll do an immigration episode. I don't believe we should have open borders, but do immigrants contribute to society? And, and everything I've researched, and I'm open to a different perspective. So, so please, again, if you disagree with me, uh, let us know. But by anything I've been able to find, immigrants are net contributors to society. And, and in, even when you include public schools that are, that are absorbing their children and uh, WIC programs and those programs, immigrants are net contributors. And, and so I'm open to other ideas. Please change my mind, but, but it may sound liberal. It may, but in this case, maybe the liberals are right.
1: Well, but the fact of the matter is liberal or not, it's American. The country was founded on the concept of, you know, what does it say right there on the Statue of Liberty? Bring us you're tired, your poor, you're hungry, your huddled masses are yearning to be free. Why? Not because we just want them, you know, taking up space but we know that people will come here to start new and work hard. And that was from the very get go, the idea, um, at least on paper. And um, now, <laughs> well,
0: we you know, it's, it's the, here's the thing though is if you look at Western countries and I'm putting quote fingers up for folks, which really means developed countries. If you look at developed yeah. countries, most developed countries have negative population growth. Mm-hmm. and that means that things like social security, which depend on a working force that, that continues to increase, need some kind of increase to, to, to sustain the current population bubble that's going to hit the system starting. It started a couple of years ago through the next 10, 15 years. And when the U.S.
1: Native, there are more retirees than there right, are people.
0: Right. We don't want that situation because then one retiree is being paid for by one, one working person. So the U.S., if you look at native born, meaning born in this country, we have negative pop- population growth as well. It's the immigrant population that sustains and continues to increase our population, and so without those immigrants, things like social security are in serious danger. Uh, it's already in serious danger. Well, even right. with
1: them, I was just going to say, even with them, <laughs> we are we are in trouble. I will tell you, my generation, uh, my wife and I, um, which we are not the millennial, you know, kids coming out of high school and college, we're old enough that this should be scary. Uh, we have always been under the impression that we will not be receiving any of the social security.
0: And we, since generation X and I'm early, early X, uh, we've been told this will never exist. Now it's looking like I'm going to slide into it. Okay. Uh, Now how many years they'll be able to pay me is another question. But if you were 10 years younger than I was, they told you it won't be there. And and that includes you and your wife. Uh, So it's, 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 it's a serious issue, and it is one we need to revisit. And we could talk about this another episode because I think it could be very interesting. But my point was, without those immigrants, we'd already be there; we'd mm-hmm. be done. There'd be no system, and, and that means Grandma, who all she has is Social Security income, and and
1: father—that's they'd I I mean, be my done. My a perfect example. He worked for years. He, you know, he he did retire fairly early but it was because his, his work opportunities dried up, but the, the house still was solvent. Um, and, you know, there was savings and right now he's in, you know, he's living in a home at the moment, but he's uh, what's financing him is the savings he had, the the sale of the house and what uh, social security he gets. Um, which after a, a lifetime's professional career what is about and my mother having passed, there was a certain, um, it was a negligible boost, by the way. Uh, the two of them got somewhere between uh, maybe around $2,300 a month, twenty five. dollars mm. was their combined Social Security. When she died, I think he gets maybe 1100 now.
0: <laughs> so she was the
1: worker in the house. Well, she worked, her, she continued to work. So when he was working, he always made more. Right and contributed more, um, but when he he stopped working, she continued for you know quite a bit longer. Right until the
0: right before she passed away. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So and, and, she
1: had longer time paying in. He paid in more for a shorter period of time. How the numbers worked out, I don't. I've never done the math. But um, her social security was just a little bit higher than his at the end. Um, however. Uh, for those of you who might be thinking about this, when your spouse goes, you yeah. don't get theirs too.
0: And, the, and that was spouse. the reverse of, of what most, um, usually it's the wives who suffer. And, yeah. and because they, they uh, particularly in traditional households, which most of our retirees came from, uh, the wife it's was, the husband, yeah. the husband was working while the wife was keeping home. By the way, full-time job, no need to denigrate those, those folks who choose to stay home and work at home. No, raising kids, all. uh, as so I just wanted to mention that because nowadays we're we look at those folks with disdain, and I think it's crazy. Uh, so no, I I think that that is the situation a lot of elderly women are in, where the husbands passed away, his income is gone, and now they're living on, to your point, eleven, twelve hundred dollars a month. They have six hundred dollars a month in property tax they have to pay because their homes have appreciated since since their spouse died, and so There's they're like living the on.
1: Very few people have paid off their homes. Right.
0: So, well, even if they have, if if you're paying $600 a month in property tax, that's half your income gone. Yes, Yes. It's just, it's out of there. So, you know, it's funny if you turn on the news in the middle of the day um, and and start looking at the ads, they're all about reverse mortgages and and, uh, other things that are really aimed towards an older crowd. And, And I'm pretty sure that's why, because folks are struggling. And you know, it, it, it's, it, again, um, it's should not, social security was never intended to be your sole retirement program. Um, and if you look back in the 1930s, when it passed, it, it was written that way. It was a supplement to, to what you, you retired on. But for many folks, it ended up being their sole retirement
1: program. Just No, it did. And You know, careers don't always go the way we imagine. How many people worked in a factory or for a company for decades and then, you know, were laid off, you know, at a late stage in their career. The idea of starting a new career was ridiculous. Um, You know, let me go get training at the age of 65 or whatever it was, you know, that we see now becoming a more and more common thing. Um, especially in, in times of economic difficulty where companies are closing down or having to do major layoffs and so forth. And this is where we're not talking about moochers. We're talking about people who have had, you know, who are trained either, you know, through education or years on the job or whatever the case is. Some are skilled labor um, who have been dedicated to an industry, a company, um, whatever the case is that, uh, then all of a sudden they're just dropped.
0: Well, and uh, yeah. that's
1: where this concept of a safety net, because people in other countries, when situations that they didn't have safety nets, you had you had doctors living on the street with a broom. <laughs> you know?
0: it, it's it's and it's it, this is where the debate begins. I think is um, it, the safety net is is the question or the discussion, I suppose, in that uh, it exists, it's there. We we do have to realize that now, should it be voluntarily participated in or should it be mandatorily participated in? And currently it is mandatory that everyone participate in contributing to that safety net. Um, And and I think if we were going to really be intellectual about this discussion, Who is entitled to what is really the question?
1: Well, I would, I would maybe even add to that: the difference between voluntary and obligatory contribution or or participation is the question has to be asked. If you choose, so a a perfect analogy to this would be uh, health insurance, for example. If you choose not to have it. Um, that's probably a bad analogy because we do have this <laughs> situation that is weird right now. Well, well,
0: um, I think even but, now, though, you don't have to participate. I think uh, the last administration removed the mandatory requirement that you have insurance.
1: So let's just set aside maybe a little bit of reality and just use this as an analogy. If you choose not to have it when you could have otherwise had it, um, assuming you could have afforded it if you choose not to have it and you're perfectly fine and then just die of old age peacefully in your sleep. Well, having not participated in the insurance uh, has cost the rest of society nothing. Right. However, the chances of you going through all of your life with no medical needs whatsoever and dying peacefully in your sleep at the ripe old age of a hundred are fairly pretty, pretty, slim. pretty slim
0: now. Now <laughs> most of the non-insured folks prior to uh, the Obama administration were younger; they weren't old folk. So sure, I was one of them. And, and a lot of folks say at 22, "Hey, I'm going to take a calculated risk, and I'm not going to get insurance." But when I'm married and have kids, I'm going to have insurance. Uh, the other things that happened, though, of course, were uh, the homeless. Uh, did, were many of them were uninsured. And well,
1: this, uh, this is the thing. You're so. Part of this analogy is removing the idea that for a lot of us, we couldn't afford it. Right. You know, there just was not an affordable healthcare to get. And that is still a challenge. Um, So I'm just taking that off the table for the purposes of of this. I got
0: you. I got you. And, and, you know, as a guy who was exploring uh, healthcare options, because there was a time there where we didn't think our, our ward was going to be eligible for my company insurance program it was $400 a month to get him insured.
1: Yeah. And you know, you guys I know are not in the poverty house, but that's a lot, that's a huge chunk.
0: It is. I didn't, I didn't say, Oh, well let's stroke a check. I, I, I looked at it and said, Ooh, that's going to hit me hard. Now it may mean that we don't go out to supper ever again. And and that was an acceptable trade-off for me. uh, But, You know, still it's, 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 uh, it is a a big hit for a child and, you know, by all actuarial tables, he should not have health issues. You know, the healthiest Americans are zero to 25. Uh, And so by any, any uh, actuarial, he should be the cheapest insurance. Uh, So what does it cost for someone who's 55
1: or 60? Well, and this is the problem. When the problem comes, whatever the health issue is. That four hundred dollars a month becomes pennies, of course, compared to, you know, uh, our our uh, father-in-law, the bill when he was ill. Um,
0: oh, it was with, hundreds of thousands. Hundreds they they
1: of thousands. paid their deductible or whatever it was that was gone. What day three? Yeah,
0: <laughs> and, and so everybody knows what we're talking about. Our our father-in-law uh, died of cancer. uh, Oh, it's been a while now, probably yeah. Yeah, uh, 15, 16, 15, 16 years ago, he died yeah. of cancer and was a very healthy man until he was diagnosed with cancer and had paid health and had full insurance sure. and all of that. Government employee, worked for NASA and a uh, retired educator, had had worked uh, in school systems before that. So he was Another very well-insured.
1: One, right? Checked all the boxes.
0: Yeah. And had done, and by the way, was a military vet. He was a member of the Coast Guard. And so, you know, he had done everything that you were supposed to do. And, and to Charles's point, uh, very rapidly, the insurance bills were being covered strictly by his insurance because he had met their deductibles. It was gone. It was gone. And, um, it it was not fun. It was a year. And, um, made me really look at whether I was going to ever go through that, by the way.
1: (laughs) So, well. I, yeah. I mean, anybody, that's another episode. <laughs>
0: yeah. It was, it was, it was a crazy time, but I think the point is, is that without insurance, uh, it would have cost the taxpayer millions probably or hundreds of thousands anyway, to, to, to help him get through his treatment.
1: So this goes back to the idea of, you know, when it's voluntary or obligatory, if everything works out in fairy tale land, then voluntary is no big deal. But when reality hits and you have a bunch of people who have volunteered not to do it, uh, whatever the it is, and then suddenly the worst case scenario happens, you end up where society now has to A, uh, step in and cover that gap at a much higher premium, or they don't and you have you know, terrible suffering and homelessness and whatever the particular disaster is that comes out of it, which is also a drain on society in various ways, not just financially. So that would argue that it should be, or at least good consideration should be given to making these things obligatory. Well, 30 minutes ago, you called me a liberal.
0: I'm just going to, I'm going to remind you 30 minutes ago, you called me a liberal. Here's where we pivot. And I don't
1: well, think. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not saying this is my opinion because I do. <laughs> I have walked this line myself right. many times. But I'm looking at the argument from both sides.
0: As you as know, we all do. The yeah.
1: seatbelt. You know why? Look, if I wear my seatbelt, how is that affecting you? Well, because if I get into a terrible accident that doesn't kill me and I don't, the insurance doesn't cover these injuries. Well, now society is 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 going to have to pay for my not having. You know, bothered to do that. That being said, I hate being told that I have to wear my seatbelt. So, you know, or
0: helmets. I mean, that you motorcycle. should
1: do it. I just don't want to be told that I have to do it. Well,
0: and it's a discussion you and I have had a lot of a lot of times, and, and we've struggled with this because I do not believe in helmet laws. I, I think motorcycle helmet laws are a gross invasion of, of personal choice. Yet, I can think of one time, and it was up and down your driveway that I rode without a helmet. In my entire life,
1: that's the most dangerous <laughs> driving you'll ever do.
0: <laughs> well, you know, we we made a contract. Oh, and the time we ran around the house on motorcycles while your mom laughed and pointed at in us grass, in the grass. Right, but but generally, as a rule, other than those couple times that I can recall, I don't ride without a helmet. But I don't think there should be a law about it. And you know, this for your own good. I call it nannyism. Wait a second here. We we need to take a good look at this and. You know the point is if I if I drive my car without a seatbelt and I get seriously injured and I'm a vegetable, uh, yes, there is a possibility society is going to end up taking care of me, a- and I get that. But again, where does the line to my own personal choice start? A- and that's really the argument. A- and I think we need to really step back, set aside those arguments because everything could then be justified by saying, well, it's it's for the good of society at large. And, and that's well, a and really a slippery, slippery slope. slope. Yeah. I agree
1: with that. Um, this is where my right, rightism comes in.
0: You're um, doggone conservative. What's wrong with you?
1: <laughs> but, you know, it bothers me being told as an adult what I should and should not do or can and cannot do. But I also understand that those decisions don't affect just me alone. If, if under the right circumstances or the wrong ones, as the case may be. Um, and so society does have some truck in my game and I don't know, you know, again, I'm, we're not saying kids don't wear a helmet, don't wear your seatbelt. No, we're not. an idiot not. to say that, you know, doing such things is a bad idea. Um, but I agree, you know, where, where is it? Um, where does society then have the right to say, and that would be the question. If if, I think a lot of insurance companies now are saying, look, go ahead, don't wear your seatbelt, but if something happens, we're not paying. And if it's found that you didn't take, do your part to ensure the best potential for your safety. And
0: that's probably a legitimate use of, of, um, of private industry to to encourage a standard where you you clip your seatbelt sure. on, uh, and there are states. The state of New Hampshire has never had a seatbelt law ever. Never had a helmet law well, either. Yeah,
1: Connecticut. Oddly enough, I think Virginia does have a. Uh, we do. We a, do. Helmet.
0: Uh, but oh. but it wouldn't matter. I'd wear it anyway. I've worn it in Connecticut, as you know, and New Hampshire, too. So
1: it's... that's yeah, but my, this particular area, I live in the Bastion of Freedom, and you're in one of them, you know... Yeah,
0: it, it, it always <laughs> depends on what you, you... Also, when it comes to Alcohol Beverage Commission, you guys have much more liberal, yeah. meaning less restrictive laws, in, in Connecticut than we have here in Virginia. I, I always tell people purple states, blue states, red states are not always solid one-color... Um, <laughs> Ever,
1: and, and, on the so, issue. On the issue. and so and Virginia is also one of those back and forth. I mean, it's a pendulum Virginia state. Virginia
0: truly is a purple state. So, yeah. um, anyway, no, I I think you know my argument, of course, would be that that the private uh, industry should be saying if you want to get insurance with us, you're going to wear your seatbelt, you're not going to smoke, you're going to wear your helmet on your motorcycle. Though helmet laws, by the way, we should have another episode on because the evidence that they do anything is is questionable. Uh,
1: but I, I, I sleep comfortably knowing that uh, while my skull is intact, my neck is broken. Um, yeah. So.
0: Well, we'll talk about this in another episode because folks who don't ride Sorry, just assume, <laughs> they assume that if you wear your helmet, you're safe. And, and we found that rider education is a much better deterrent to, to accidents, severe accidents. So, anyway, but let's set that aside because you and I can nerd completely.
1: Oh, I can hear the typing happening.
0: <laughs> well, and you know, anyone who calls us donor, donor cyclists, uh, just don't even bother. I don't need to hear from you.
1: uh, I'll just, I'll just share. uh, I I had a client once I I showed up on my bike uh, and she said, Oh, I see you're out on your murder cycle.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I thought, wow, what a lovely thing to say to somebody who, you know, now has (laughs) to spend the rest of their day on the bike in the middle of, Lovely attitude to share. Yeah,
0: okay. it's, 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 I, I get it. I get that we're rebels. I get that we're bad boys and girls, but, uh, your, your motorcyclist that you flip the bird to is probably your doctor or your lawyer. So think about that really hard. Okay. So, anyway, by the way, we, we've told this story, but we actually met an emergency room surgeon uh, when we were in Maine, who, who was a, mm. uh, was a motorcyclist. So watch, watch what you say. Yeah, <laughs> anyway. Um, no, I, I think, you know, I, and this is probably where my libertarianism kicks in. We really need to allow uh, insurance agencies and those to, to to really push those standards and not have blanket laws that, that oftentimes are just used to write citations. Let's be real honest.
1: Well, but OK, so let's say that that happens, as is happening with a lot of insurances. They say, look, here's the conditions under which we will pay and uh, and not limited to even. Uh, but you have to meet the standard on your part for us to agree to to pay if something happens. And let's say you fail to meet that standard. Okay. Your insurance doesn't pay. You're out of pocket to the degree that you have anything in your pocket. Once your pocket is empty, if you're not dead, where does society have an obligation to step in?
0: Well, you know what I would say? They don't, they don't, they don't. And, And that's just a harsh reality. Um, you show
1: up at the emergency room, though, they cannot legally send yeah, you. Yeah,
0: legally, you cannot. Now, now we probably ought to do an episode on the medical system because it's a horrible system from either perspective, whether you come from the right or the left, because it's a mishmash of two schools that had no overarching look.
1: Absolutely. And- that, that's another can of worms we can get <laughs> yeah. into. Again, so, as a metaphor, it's the same story with, say, welfare.
0: Of course. Uh,
1: where and that's wrapping
0: the- the- us right back around, isn't it? <laughs>
1: Well, again, it's, it's, these are all things that have become put under this umbrella of entitlement. I'm entitled to medical care. I'm entitled at, at the emergency room. I'm entitled to X, Y, and and Z. And welfare is, you know, probably one of the most controversial ones.
0: Well, but, because- but I need to, I need to say this and please let me interrupt and say this. I have to, I, I was an inner city school teacher. I saw a no, lot of people. can't say that, sorry. I saw a lot of people on, quote, welfare, whether that's women, income, children, uh, or, or whatever. And, and this idea of the welfare queen, and you've heard me say this, but our listeners have it, That's a lie. This is bare subsistence living. Now, whether they're entitled to it or not is a different discussion. But but don't. So
1: what do you say to people that talk about, I'm standing in line with my handful of of. of- healthy groceries. And it's costing me a good part of my well-earned paycheck. And this person over here next to me is pulling out her food stamps and she's got chocolate bars and this and that, and, and eating better than I am in some cases on this welfare. I mean, get a real job.
0: <laughs> well, first off, here's the big secret folks. When you're looking down, you're at that, that person, this goes back to her, they may be a foster family. And they may be buying for the kids that they're fostering on their dime because you don't make money in that system either, by the way. Trust me, I know from personal experience, you don't make money in that system. You're, you're spending a lot more than you ever get from the state. So first off, they could be a foster family. Secondly, if they're not, uh, they're paying cash for the stuff that's not on the, the allowable list. So if, if I want to buy baby food for, for my foster son, I get the basic baby food. That's what I'm allowed to get. If I decide I want something that I feel is more nutritious for him, I pay for that out of pocket. How do I know that? Because I experienced it personally. Uh, formula, you get the basic formula. If I want to get something I think is healthier for him that doesn't have a whole bunch of soy in it, I pay for that out of pocket. So, uh, you know, you're not getting your chocolate bars, you're not getting steak dinners, you're not getting any of that stuff on this system. The, the, the computer tells the cashier what you have to pay and what gets to go on that WIC card. Uh and, and so it's it's basic necessities, white bread, milk, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's it's not me buying my porterhouse, which I've never bought one, by the way, except at a yeah. restaurant.
1: <laughs> so. I think I think the question that, that really has to be better understood, um, is what is a legitimate qualification for uh welfare? You know, again, going back to uh, the example of the, uh, re- the gentleman earlier who was a vet, and uh, by his own description, a disabled vet, and therefore entitled to certain things. We, a lot of assumptions are made, first of all, uh, to, in, in, in people of that ilk's defense, that are not visible uh, to the naked eye, to the, to the right. unknown eye mental illness is a legitimate disability. Um, You can't necessarily, depending on the nature of it, see it walking down the street or in the grocery store or at the workplace.
0: No, it's not like a missing limb where it's obvious, right?
1: No. Um, And there are different degrees and they're also, you know, today's just fine. Tomorrow's another story. So it's a much grayer area there. Somebody who is disabled and Again, go ahead and write your, your hate mail for what I'm about to say. But that image of that overweight person sitting and watching Mari on, on TV collecting their uh, welfare check um, and buying their cigarettes and so forth, I don't think that's actually as many people as we feel they, they, they are exist, at
0: all. but they're not as prevalent as one would think.
1: Exactly. Now, for those who do exist, yeah, that, that's probably not cool. Uh because you probably could actually I, I think many many of I shouldn't even say the word there are those who probably could be doing more um, but if we're just gonna go based on percentages is the 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 percentage of people collecting that handout to use a dirty word uh in, in you know with that really shouldn't be. So high as to be the problem that we think it is.
0: I, I think it's probably not as huge. I mean, that one study I just cited a little while ago is ten percent. Uh, everybody else, 10%, pretty much, not nothing. right, right. But but remember now, as far as I know, the 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 laws that were passed during the Clinton administration restricting you to a maximum number of months that you could claim uh, public assistance. I don't know that those laws have ever been removed. I could be wrong, uh, but I don't think they've I, ever been removed. Uh, number one, number two, uh, the just like the top ten percent of, of wage earners in this society constantly churns, the bottom ten percent also constantly churns. So, folks that this year are in the bottom ten percent of income in the U.S. in ten years will not. Most of them will not be in the bottom ten percent. They weigh, earn their way out of there. They go get jobs. They go get new skills. They go to community college and hustle. They they start a business. Listen, this story is 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 truly the American dream, where the chicken salad chick is selling chicken salad out of the back of her car, and and fifteen years later, she she owns a whole chain of restaurants up and down the U.S. East Coast. That's for real, and that is your bottom ten percent of earners. Most of them are looking to 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 come up out of that ten percent. And by the way, the top ten percent, same thing. They 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 spend all their money and they fall out of the top ten percent. So it's it's this this misnomer that I've been in the bottom ten percent all my life. Is probably not true, except for maybe those folks who who are the stereotype that we're talking about.
1: Well, and there are people who work hard. Um, there are people who are legitimately disabled. True story. That's what we're talking about here,
0: and, and we're um, not talking about the mom who's slinging burgers at, at the McDonald's who's never going to get out of that. Uh, she's the exception to the rule, uh, and and because she has two kids or three kids at home. And by the way, when I taught in the inner city, there were lots of families that refused to take public assistance.
1: Lots well, I families. think this is, this is often the case. Um, it is, it's, I, I don't think I've ever met anybody. I'm sure the person is out there because, you know, law of averages. But I don't know that I've ever met anybody who was proud to, you know, who, who, who walked in with their food stamps and say, look at me today. I mean, that person may be out there, but most people want to have a, to work towards a better quality of life. And if welfare is where you are in the sense that we're talking about, that, I don't know if that's a comfort zone. No, it's
0: not. <laughs> you know? and, and, you know, we're going to, we're going to have to talk about criminal justice reform in the future, but a lot of folks that are struggling to get an honest living are our are, are former cons and, and they can't get a job. To, they can't get a sniff of a job. And I've experienced this in some of the counseling I've done for, for disabled vets who came back from, from the war, where they had a conviction, a, a felony conviction on their record and good luck getting a job. Good luck. You know, it, it's, they would get a the guy I who's since passed away, but the guy I'm thinking of specifically had a felony, uh, conviction on his record and he couldn't keep a job with a lawn service. <laughs> because once they did the background investigation, he he get canned. Now he eventually came up and and, and made good and, and uh, was working for a, a reputable company before he passed away, uh, unrelated to, to what he had gone through. Uh, but yeah, it, it's I think other than folks we'll like that, about this.
1: we will talk about this because I think it's it's absolutely a conversation we need to have. We will um, justice reform. <laughs> I will just simply say to that note, you know, going to prison is supposed to be your debt to society right, and when you come out your debt to society is supposed to have been paid and there you know I think there are certain crimes that do need to if you're a child molester, I have no problem with the right. registration <laughs>
0: you know, well I mean, and the and we'll, we maybe we need to talk about that too because what they call a child molester uh is interesting too
1: <laughs> so. well certainly but i mean if you are a sexual uh predator Editor. Yes. Then whatever, whether it's a child or not, if you're a sexual predator, um, yeah, we're not talking about the 18 year old and the 17. We're talking about the
0: guy who was caught on the corner (laughs)
1: smoking weed. Yes. Um, Then, you know, fine. Some some egregious crimes need to follow you the rest of your days. But in my humble opinion, but if that's not the case, if you did something dumb as a kid, if you, you know, and you've paid your debt to society, I, I think there'd be a good argument to be, to be made that uh, you should, that that should be a closed record.
0: Well, yeah. and, and to our point of this episode, by doing that, you allow that person to go earn a living. And so and become he, a he or she person. is not getting that entitlement. And, and we really need to revisit what those, those, uh, and this will be another episode. But, but you know, we're, we're coming to the end of our time with, with our dear listeners. And so I was hoping we could kind of summarize um, where we are before we, we wrap things up.
1: I, I, I'll just say, you know, i had made some notes in preparation for this. And I think that there is, there's so much room in, in many of the difficulties that we have in society to take pause and revisit this idea of it takes a village. And it doesn't mean that, you know, people who take advantage and, and so forth should be rewarded for it. I am not suggesting that at all. But when, when my brother fails, I fail, you know, and, and that's not singing kumbaya. We are all harmed. And I think that, uh, you know, we look at some of these things. We've seen with societies that have no safety net, no help for those in need. Um, and those con- who have contributed uh, and and are now in need we've seen what those societies look like, you know wheelbarrowing uh, uh, you know carrying money by the wheelbarrow to buy a loaf of bread because you know there's there's just nothing um, and it's not a place I want to live. <laughs> you know? I want us <laughs> to work hard i want a- the incentive to work hard to be strong, but when legitimate help is needed in whatever form. I think that uh, we should be open to that, and the generosity of us as a society should should reflect that. That's my humble tree hugging opinion.
0: There you go. And, and I'm going to say, coming from a different political perspective, um, you got to practice what you preach. If if you believe these should be voluntary, then how are you personally engaging in that voluntary help for folks? And and uh, I'll be happy. Well, I won't share my my tax returns, but. I I, I contribute a significant amount because I do truly believe in what I'm preaching to everyone else that until you give back to society, then you can start talking about how we should all do this voluntarily. So I try to do it voluntarily. I I encourage everyone to do it voluntarily. Even if you are paying more than your fair share in taxes, whatever, whoever defines fair share, uh, you should be helping out your fellow man. And, And to Charles's point, first off, Government slow; it takes forever. So if I'm if I'm giving to my local uh, food pantry and feeding hungry people, that's probably a good thing. Um, and, and find your local food pantry, please, and, and contribute to them. Contribute to to things to get homeless folks off the off the streets. Uh, if your cause is veterans, contribute to that. If you, if your thing is disabled vets, there's lots of charities out there. So don't just talk about they oughta, we oughta. To to my co-host's point, we oughta we ought to step up and do our jobs as, as contributing members to society, whether it's voluntarily or unfortunately it became mandatory because people didn't do it voluntarily. So let's get back to voluntary. Any, anything else?
1: <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sure there is, but we'll save it for next week. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. You know, once again, uh, uh, we've flip-flopped on the, on the aisle both of us uh, depending on the moment in the show which is always interesting i think that's most people by the way and uh, i want to thank you for bringing this topic to the table you know every week i, I just saw so our dear listeners know almost every week uh charles brings a topic and, and i react to it i i think there have been a few where i've said hey let's talk about war or and i've said no and he always said, yes, uh, but, but generally as a rule, he, he comes up with the topics and, and I love talking to him about these things. So if you have an opinion and you either think we're both right, we're both wrong, we're both incredibly stupid, please, please email to us. And how would they email us, Charles?
1: Well, so you can write uh, civil discourse, TNSS, that's this is not a safe space. At gmail.com, civil discourse tnss at gmail.com. Perfect. Send us a note, uh, go to that place and smash that like button down. Give I us five star reviews. Is better and different? Yep. 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 We need them. Yes. And tell your and, and tell a
0: friend. Yeah, please tell a friend. And, and if you enjoy what we do, where we, we don't scream and call each other names, uh, and, we, and we have a great deal of respect for each other, please tell your friends that there is some sanity out here in the political discussions of the world. So I want to thank you, Charles, uh, for all you do for the show. I want to thank you for your, your technical challenges that you faced down and, and beat into submission. And I want to thank uh, all our dear listeners. I know you have a list of folks to thank. So who would you like to thank?
1: Well, the top of that list really has going forward, uh, been and continues to be our uh, engineer, editor, and, uh, contributing an occasional co-host. Yes. Uh, Keith uh, then he works wonders. Uh, with putting this together, and uh, we just really wouldn't be where we are without him. So we want to thank him. Um, even though we're sort of independent now, we got started with the help and support of Sacred Heart University in Fairfield, Connecticut, and uh, the School of Communications and the Arts. So we're very grateful to their support. The Lazarus Trio: Carl Groves and my co-host Mike Honiger, uh Great musicians, artists, writers. And I think you've got another album coming up.
0: Well, we're working on writing it. So it's going to be three yeah, years yeah. when you do it. it little little
1: <laughs> but, but stay tuned, listeners. Be with us in three years and, uh, and you'll be first to hear about this, this, And of course, uh, Dr. Mike, Dr. Mike.
0: Well, Thank you. Thank you. So listen, we, we hope we've uh, made you think hard. And, and until next time, have a great one. Thank you.